there are some things for which churches of Christ are known. And uh, some of those you might be surprised by. Like, for example, if you didn't know it, James A. Garfield, who was at one time president of the United States, was a Church of Christ preacher of all things. Did you know that? Which I think portends the incredible potential that all Church of Christ preachers have. What's that? I know Canada doesn't have a president. I'm a Canadian citizen. But I was born in the United States, and I'm still a U.S. citizen, which means I could run for office next year. But I'm not planning to. Max Lucado, some of you have heard his name, is one of the, well, maybe the most prolific author in our time. Probably for the last 25 years, no one has published more books in the area of Christian literature than Max Lucado. And he's just a good old Church of Christ boy. Did you know that? You probably did. Probably knew that one. But here's the one that gets me most excited. The current dean of the Yale Divinity School is just a good old Church of Christ boy from California. Now the rest of you, to you that means nothing. You don't care. You think, we don't care, Kelly. But it gets me excited to think that the dean of the Yale Divinity School is just a good old Church of Christ boy. So we have some things which are really noted about us in terms of history, and I think those things are good. But one of the things that we're also noted for, and you know this to be true, is our position on baptism. And one of the things I love, which is at least as noteworthy as any of those other things, is this view on baptism. I like it. And I think it's extremely biblical and easy to defend. And so once a year, we take a Sunday where we take a a Sunday out from our series, like in this case, Tenacious Faith from the book of Hebrews, and where we address some of these things that are identifying marks for what it means to be the church of Jesus Christ. And today, we're going to look specifically at the notion of baptism. Now, for those of you who've heard this sermon a thousand times before, and I know there are some of you who are thinking that, you know, Kelly, uh, I have heard this sermon before. Would it be okay if I just got up now and went and checked on my roast at home? Because I've heard this sermon, and I agree with you. Like, some of you know this sermon very well, and you know all about our doctrine on baptism. But you know, it's a possibility, a very good possibility, that there is at least someone here today who has not been baptized into Jesus Christ. And for anyone who's here today who hasn't been baptized into Jesus Christ, this sermon is for you. This is for you. Because I'm convinced that this particular subject is crucial to our understanding when it comes to us giving ourselves to Jesus Christ. In fact, I'm amazed when I look at the biblical information about baptism and just how central this is to the life of a believer in Jesus. And so that's why our belief statement in our church family says this. We believe every person believing in Jesus Christ is to repent of his or her sins, 
confess Jesus Christ as Lord, be baptized by immersion in water, and live a life committed to Jesus Christ as outlined in the New Testament. That's what we believe. And so if you're here today and you're thinking, what does this church believe? I'm a guest here. I don't know anything about this church. Well, this is one of the things that we believe. And if you've been here for a long time and you think to yourself, do you think we ever preach that still? Is that something still that identifies who we are? Well, I hope you know that it is. That this is indeed something very, very important. And so important that I want to just kind of stop right here and say, if you've not been baptized, in my opinion, something is missing from your faith commitment to Jesus Christ. I think it's that important. In fact, in a little while here, we're going to look at some passages, and I think it shows easily from the Bible just how important this particular subject is. And there's a couple of reasons why this is so important, I think, for the unbaptized to get. Why is something missing for the unbaptized? Well, first of all, because baptism is a commanded step in the conversion process of a believer in Jesus Christ. Now, you say to yourself, really? It's commanded? Are you serious? Because I haven't been baptized, and if God had, if God had said to me, do this, I would have done it. And I am saying that, indeed, this is commanded. This is something that God commanded people to do in response to who Jesus is. And it's pretty easy for me to show that to you. I just want you to turn to Acts chapter 2, verse 38 in your Bibles. Maybe when we get to Acts 2, 38, if, if you have a pew Bible, you could shout out the page number because I forgot to look it up in the pew Bibles. And that way anybody here can see it. 772, thanks, Faye. Now, what's been happening here in Acts chapter 2 is that Peter's been preaching about who Jesus is. And he gets to the end of chapter 2, or close to the end. He kind of is rounding out his sermon here, and the people are just moved by what he's been saying about Jesus. And it says in verse 37, when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart. And they said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And that question, what shall we do, is not an idle question. This is people whose, as far as they were concerned, their eternal lives are on the line here. They have crucified the Lord of glory. What shall we do in response to this? And Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you'll receive the gift of the, of, uh, the, gift of the Holy Spirit. The promises for you and your children are for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. Well, when he says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, I take that to be a command. And so, if nothing else, baptism is clearly part of our obedience to God. This is something that the Lord says to do. And when the text says, every one of you, now this is interesting because in the Greek, it says, every one of you. The English translation is perfect here. It's exactly what it says. There's no exceptions. This is for every one of us. And so every one of us needs to believe in Jesus Christ. It applies to us all. There are none who should be saying, well, except for me. No, this is everyone. 
And so when the word of God here says, be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ, it's clear to me that God, through his Holy Spirit, means that everyone coming to Jesus Christ, without exception, should be making this decision. This is what the text says. This is what they all did. There are 3,000 of them who were baptized on this day in response to what Peter tells them to do. And that's because he told them to do it, and they said, we will obediently do what God wants us to do. And so they did it. It sounds to me like Christians, all people who are coming to Jesus, need to do just exactly this. We believe in Jesus and we're baptized. This is what we should do. But, given everything that I know, this is not the only reason. In fact, I'm not even sure it's the strongest reason that we need to respond in baptism to Jesus. Because I would say that there also are blessings and benefits of Christian baptism that take us even to a different place and beyond simply the obedience to a command. You know, it's one thing for someone to say, you have to love your wife if you're going to be married to her. And I say, okay, I guess I need to. That's one thing. I guess we are married. I should love her. It's another thing for me to desire to love her and to be in relationship with her and to experience all the blessings and benefits of what is there in marriage. And our life with Christ is so much more than just the keeping of a command to be baptized. It's the privilege and the blessing of enjoying all that goes along with being baptized into Jesus Christ because there are so many blessings there. And I just want to quickly run through a bunch of scriptures that indicate all the blessings of being baptized into Christ. And so I want you to turn first to the gospel of John. In John chapter 3, it's the fourth book in the New Testament, in case you didn't know that. John chapter 3, Nicodemus comes to visit Jesus by night. And he's got some questions about who Jesus is. He wants to know. And Jesus doesn't answer perfectly in terms of directness to Nicodemus all the questions that he is asking. But he gets right to the heart of the matter with Nicodemus in verse 3. And after Nicodemus has been talking to him, it says, In reply, Jesus declared, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he's born again. That's interesting. The language can also mean born from above. Born again or born from above. Clearly God is doing something in rebirthing a human being. And he says you can't see the kingdom of God unless some kind of rebirth takes place in your life. Then look at verse 5. I tell you the truth. No one can enter the kingdom of God unless he's born of water and the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the spirit. Now, what's interesting here is we tend to focus on the baptism part of this, and I think that there's something valuable in that, but the real essence of this passage has to do with spiritual rebirth, the Holy Spirit rebirthing a human being. What's interesting is that water is included in this at all. Why? Well, because there's a direct connection, I think, between our water baptisms and the life of the Spirit that God gives to us. And so there's a link here with baptism and the whole notion of being born again, receiving this gift 
upon us down from heaven. We are rebirthed and made new through the process of belief and repentance and baptism. And so we need to receive what God wants to grant to us in baptism. It's not just that we're trying to keep a command. It's that there is something wonderful, something unifying between ourselves and God's spirit that happens at the occurrence of our baptism. And we are rebirthed, it says, from above as God transfers to us new life. Now, I want you to go back to Acts chapter 2. Before, I simply focused on the notion that it's commanded. But I want you to see a couple of other things here. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, he says, in the name of Jesus Christ, which means that at our baptisms... This being baptized in the name of Jesus does something to us. There's something here that happens between ourselves and Jesus himself at the moment of our baptism. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ. And then he says, for the forgiveness of your sins. And there's some kind of direct link, clearly, between the forgiveness of sins and the act of Christian baptism. There's debate sometimes about exactly what the word for might mean here. But I'm convinced that Christ is in the process of doing something within us through the act of baptism, and that includes the forgiveness of sins. Then he goes on to say, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And so there's some kind of special bestowal, some kind of special relationship. There's a connection between our God and ourselves that takes place at baptism that even includes the Holy Spirit coming into my life at that moment. There's a reality of the Spirit that takes place in us through the act of baptism that I'm convinced simply is not there in any other way. And that's what the text is trying to make clear. Now look at Acts 22 since we're in the book of Acts. Acts chapter 22. I'm going to start with verse 14. We're in the middle of a... A testimony being given by Paul where he's talking about what happened with his own conversion. It says in verse 14, The God of our fathers has chosen you to know his will and to see the righteous one and to hear words from his mouth. You will be his witness, talking about Paul. You will be his witness to all men of uh, of what you have seen and heard. And now, what are you waiting for? Get up, be baptized. And what do the next words say? And wash away your sins. There is some kind of connection between the act of baptism and the washing away of sins. Clearly, it's not the water itself that's washing something physical away, but there's a spiritual washing that takes place with the act of baptism. Now, flip over to Titus chapter 3. Titus chapter 3, it says in verse 4, But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of His mercy. And so if there's any question here about whether or not baptism is a work, whether or not it somehow saves us on its own, of course not. We don't believe in work salvation in any form. Salvation is by grace. But how does one respond to grace? How do we respond in light of what Jesus has done? It says He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior. 
And so in this passage also, just like 22.16 in the book of Acts, and just like Acts 2.38 says there is a specific relationship between rebirth and sins being forgiven and Holy Spirit coming into our lives. And I'm convinced the washing here is talking about baptism. Makes total sense. All these passages are connected. And so there is removal of sins, rebirth, renewal, Holy Spirit coming into us all at the act of baptism. Well, you ask me if that's something that you can do without. Like if you're thinking to yourself, well, yeah, I'm still not convinced though, Kelly. Well, okay, what about the renewal? What about the rebirth? What about the washing? What about the coming of the Spirit into your life? Is this something that you need? I would say that we as human beings do. Now turn to Galatians chapter 3. I'm going to look at verses 26 and 27. In addition to all of the other blessings that come through the act of baptism, look at this one. Galatians 3.26. You are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. There's no question here about where faith stands. You know, sometimes people ask me this, you know, this question, uh, you know, what do we really need to do to be saved? And I'll tell you this. If I had to pick one thing, only one. If I could only pick one. If somebody said, you're either going to pick belief or you're going to pick baptism. I, if I had to pick just one, I'm picking faith every time. Okay? Faith is the most important ingredient in terms of salvation, period. But the New Testament always, always, always links the response of faith in people who are responding to Jesus with the act of baptism. Always. The New Testament knows nothing about unbaptized faithful people. When you believe in Jesus, you get baptized. That's the way it always was. That's the way it always should be. And here's good reason. Look at verse 26. You are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus, for all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. And so there's a putting on of Jesus. We're clothed with Christ at the point of our baptisms, it says. And then look at who this is for. There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you're all one in Christ Jesus. And so who is this for? Who is this for this response of faith and baptism in terms of what it does? It's for everybody. It's for us all, just like all of those other passages talked about. It's for all of us. And so there's a linking together First of all, with being a son of God through this process of faith and baptism. And then there is the linking also of being clothed with Christ through the act of belief and baptism. Now, turn to 1 Peter chapter 3. First Peter chapter 3. This is an amazing passage, really. And I'll start, uh, I'll start with the stuff about Noah over in, say, uh, oh, the middle of verse 18. Talking about Christ, he, he was put to death in the body, but made alive by the Spirit, through whom also he went and preached to the spirits in heaven, who disobeyed long ago when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. In it, talking about the ark, 
In it, only a few people, eight in all, were saved through water. And this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you also. Not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a good conscience toward God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. This is interesting. Like, I don't think there's anybody here, and I certainly wouldn't say that baptism in and of itself saves anybody. Like, without the cross, baptism is getting wet. Without the resurrection, baptism is getting wet. It may not even be, if if you're here, there's no soap here. You're not even getting all that clean. Physically. But this says that there is the pledge of a good conscience toward God that takes place in the act of baptism. And I think that's doing something. We hear sometimes that it's an external symbol of an inward grace. It is so much more than that. Clearly, this passage is talking about baptism doing something as this pledge of your Clean conscience, made clean by your faith and the response of baptism is made to God. And God acts on that pledge of a good conscience. He seals you with the Spirit and you become His child the way that He wants us to be. Now, turn back to Romans chapter 6. And if you're thinking to yourself, my, we are just going through all these passages in the Bible today. What's going on here? Well, we should be in the Bible, I think. Establishing a biblical doctrine for the church by looking at some scriptures. And like I said, if there is somebody here today who's wondering, is this for me? One of the things I want you to know is that the Bible is not just going to talk about baptism in one place. It's replete with it. It's everywhere. Everywhere you turn, it seems as though somebody is either being baptized or talking about baptism or or telling somebody they should. And so Romans chapter 6, verse 3. Don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus, were baptized into his death. We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. Where does the new life come from? It comes from you being united with Christ. And how does that union take place? It happens specifically with the act of Christian baptism. So there's a coming together between ourselves and Christ. My act of being baptized parallels Jesus himself and joins me together with him. Something happens between myself and God, between myself and Christ, as I'm united with him in this act of baptism. Well, we could go on. I could talk about 1 Corinthians 12, 13, which talks about how we're all unified in one baptism. We could talk about Matthew chapter 3, verses 13 through 17, to talk about how Jesus is the example, and when he's baptized... He does that in response to uh, the need to fulfill all righteousness. We could talk about those things. And, and there, I could put all kinds of things here. We don't need to keep going. I think you get the point. We, as a church, rightly, I think, have stated the fact that baptism is a transformational act, not just an external symbol. It's way more than a symbol, although it is certainly symbolic. It initiates a process of obedience and growth that is lifelong for those who enter in. And so, I guess I've been uh, a bit blunt this morning. Matter of fact about this case of baptism. 
But when I read the New Testament, I don't think there's any question about the fact that somebody who's been converted to Jesus Christ, who's being converted to Jesus Christ, should do this in response to or uh, as part of his or her belief in Christ. Baptism is simply part of the process, and it's that way it should be for every one of us. So I hope that's for you. Now, there's a problem with all of this, and that is that people love to come up with excuses for why they're not baptized. And I'm not sure exactly why this is, but they like to come up with excuses, reasons, yeah, I, I, I'm sorry. I, I use the word excuses. That's a bad word. That, that kind of um, casts a negative opinion on what they're saying when they choose not to be. They have reasons. I just don't think they're very good ones. And so let me just mention briefly six, and then we'll be done with this. But I think, I think these can be refuted pretty easily. The first one is simply this. A lot of times people aren't baptized because they're convinced that they already have been. And what I mean is, they think that they were baptized as babies, sprinkled, christened, whatever one wants to call it, just as I was as a baby. And so I remember very clearly the day that I went to a family reunion. The Carter family was having a big family reunion. But that morning, it was a Sunday, that morning I had decided that I needed to be immersed into Jesus Christ as a believer. And so I went to my father, who was at the family reunion, I had an elder in the church drive me there. He drives me to the family reunion. I get out of the car. I walk over to my dad who's sitting around a table having a beer with everybody. And I said, Dad, can I talk to you? And we walked away. I was 15 years old, 14 years old. And I said, Dad, I've decided that I want to be baptized. And I want to, I want to be a Christian and give myself completely to Jesus. And he was not at all in that frame of mind, you know, it just wasn't where he was at at all. But he said to me, I, I'm grateful for this, he said, Kelly, he said, you are old enough to make your own decisions. And you need to make a decision about this one. And so if that's what you want to do, this is your choice. And so I said, okay, I'm going to do it. And I left the family reunion. I didn't participate in our family reunion that day. I went and had the elder drive me up to a Bible camp and I was baptized that night in Jesus Christ. Best decision I ever made. And before that, the fact is, even though I had been christened as a baby in the Catholic Church, the fact is, I was not baptized. I was not baptized because I didn't believe when I was baptized. I didn't even know what happened. If someone said, do you remember that day? I'd say, are you kidding? I was three weeks old or whatever it was. I didn't remember anything. But I knew what had happened when I came to faith in Jesus. I knew when I believed. I knew that I needed to give my heart completely to Him. And I did. And it was the best decision I ever made. And I think it's absolutely the biblical decision. We've seen that this morning. There are so many things that are linked together with our baptisms. But they're linked with a believer's baptism. Somebody who gives their heart in faith to Jesus. So I think that has to be overcome. I'm not sure that any other definition fits the definition of baptism. The second thing. People often don't get baptized because someone told them that somewhere, someone thinks that baptism is a work. And we know we're not supposed to do works to satisfy God. Salvation doesn't come through works. And so we don't want to do any work. 
And so if someone says, well, this is a work, then we don't want to do it. Well, I think they're wrong. I don't think that baptism is in any way a work. It is an act of obedience. But it's an act of obedience that doesn't itself save. Acts of obedience don't save. If I'm obedient in the way that I treat my wife, it doesn't save me. If I do all kinds of good works, it doesn't save me. What saves me is Jesus Christ and his grace. Baptism is an act of obedience, part of a faith response that we make to Jesus in line with what the New Testament tells us to do. In fact, it's amazing to me that people would even ask the question about what baptism is. They clearly don't understand it if they're concerned about it being some kind of work. Those in the New Testament who come to Jesus receive baptism, but not as some kind of work for salvation. They're simply responding to what God has asked them to do. So it's not a work. The third thing, people don't get baptized because they don't like being told by others what they, that they have to be baptized. You know how that is. I call Ken up and I say, Ken, you've got to be in church every Sunday for the rest of your life no matter what. You know what Ken's going to do? He's going to miss next week. Preacher's not going to tell me what to do. Ken would be acting just like a teenager. That's what teenagers do. You tell a teenager to do something, and they say, you're not telling me what to do, and they go and do the opposite. It's not very mature, but that's the way we are. And so people don't like being told that they have to do something. Well, what if it's not the preacher? What if it's not your parents? What if it's not one of your siblings? What if it's the New Testament? Are you going to tell God, are you going to say to the Lord, you're not going to tell me what to do? That sounds to me like pride. That sounds to me like an unwillingness to do what God tells you to do. The New Testament is pretty clear on this issue. We've looked at those passages already this morning. And so I think it's room for, there's room for some of us to just say, you know what? I need to get the pride out of my life and just do what God tells me to do. Just part of obedience to him. Another thing. Sometimes people don't get baptized because they're afraid they have to come over here in this tank and put on this public display. And people don't like having attention drawn to themselves. If I said to, to my wife anything having to do with draw attention to Robin, she wouldn't like it. Like she'd hate it if you all turned right now and looked at her. Okay, so don't do that. Okay, and I, I shouldn't talk about her because it just draws attention to her. She hates it. So I won't do that. Okay, and some people are like that. You know, I don't want to go over here and, and get in this tank and go through this act of baptism because if I do, everybody's going to look at me. Well, first of all, it is possible to have a private baptism. And so if you're absolutely that way, well, we can, we can do it privately. You know, we'll call 20 or 30 friends and they can come and they can, can be part of that, okay? The, the thing is, the, one of the reasons why I love to have public baptisms is because, well, two reasons. One is, it's so good for your own accountability. You didn't do this in private. You did this with other people around. They know you got baptized. When you come next Sunday, they know you're the one that got baptized. And I think that's a good thing. But the second reason is because when we have a baptism here on Sunday morning, it's the best morning we have. Everybody loves it. When we have a baptism and everybody sees you coming out of the water, new birthed into Jesus, everybody's got smiles on their faces and the singing is different and the attitude toward the sermon is different and that I like best. 
And so everything changes when there's a baptism. And I love that. And so I always say to people, let's do it publicly if we can. So if you can't do it publicly, you're just thinking to yourself. I'm kidding. (laughs) Well, not really. There is some really real value in us doing things publicly. And I hope that you don't let that stand in your way. If you absolutely have to have it done privately, we can do that. As much as there is great value in doing it publicly. Another thing, people often will say that they're not ready to be baptized. We talked about this last time I I preached on this. You know, the whole notion of not being ready to be rebirthed doesn't make sense. You start as an infant. Nobody is expecting you to be perfect. I wish you could have been here in the first service today. It was Greg Greg Lidke shared the Lord's Supper. And and it was just so simple. He got up and he said, and and very serious, obviously, uh, totally caught up in the moment. And he said, you know, he said, sometimes I think I sin more now after being a Christian for 40 years than I did when I was first baptized. And he said, you know what that means? It means that I need the forgiveness of Christ. And he said, that's what we're celebrating, is the forgiveness that we have received in Jesus. After he got done and sat down, I, before I preached, I called him back up and I just put my arm around him and we prayed. And I said, you know, to the church in the first service, I said, it's so cool to have Greg just stand up and confess his sins. He just confesses that he's a sinner. And he's saying for us what we need to say. He's, he's all of us standing here celebrating the Lord's Supper because we all are in the same boat. We all need Jesus so badly. And you will need him as badly after 50 years of being in Christ as you will on the first day. And so you can't say, I'm not ready for this yet. Of course you're not ready. Of course you're not. None of us are ready. That's what the grace of Jesus is all about. It's about the fact that we're not ready. And so we're baptized as new babes, new children, holy, clean, fresh, new birth. And our sins are washed away. People aren't baptized because they're mature in Jesus. They're baptized because they're not. And it starts a new life in Him. And so don't let the fact that you don't live the way you want to keep you from being baptized into Christ. And then lastly... You'll think this is ridiculous. Fear of water. There are people who don't get baptized because they're afraid to get in the water. It happens. I'll never forget Alberta Hutchison, who was probably 80 years old in Victoria. This lady weighed about 95 pounds, even after she was soaking wet. And I, I, like, after a while, I was like, Alberta, why are you not being baptized? And she said, finally, she said, Kelly, I'm afraid of going in the water. She was scared to death. And I explained to her, I said, Alberta, I have never lost one. Like, no one has ever drowned. Like, everyone who's ever gone in the water with me, they've all come out alive. In fact, more alive. And so you, you should have confidence about this. But it scared her to death. So we went... We went into the water together. She finally, I got her in, I convinced her. We got her into the water. And all of a sudden, that woman was like on crystal meth. You know what happens to somebody on crystal, crystal meth? Like they're, they're high as a kite and strong as an ox. They, had, they have unknown physical abilities. And so Alberta starts to fight me in the baptistry 
because she doesn't want to go down in the water. And I'm saying, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, I'm holding on to this woman trying to get into the water. I won. I, I got her under the water. She fought me all the way down. But she also came out alive. She came out in Jesus Christ. And so don't let fear of water scare you from going under. It'll only be for a moment. It, you know, if you, need, if you need help, if you, we'll get Keith Rathwell to stand there. Keith, if, if I can't lift you out, Keith can. He'll pull you out of the water. Somebody here is going to know mouth-to-mouth resuscitation. There are great reasons for being baptized into Jesus. I cannot think of one not to be. We all need to give ourselves to Jesus Christ. And baptism is, an, is, is the, a central act within that process into which we all need to enter. And so if you're not baptized today, man, I hope you do. I, I just pray that you will give yourself to Christ in such a way that you choose to repent because you believe in him, give yourself in baptism and be united into his body the way the New Testament talks so clearly about and become uh, the child of God that he wants you to be. Let's pray. Lord, you have saved us. You have loved us and given yourself to us. And all you ask is that we respond. You ask us to respond in faith. And I'm convinced that part of this faith response is the act of baptism. And so, Father, I pray for every person who is unbaptized here today that you would bless them with this choice laid on their hearts. Help them to come to talk to me or talk to somebody else about the fact that they can do this and be united with you in baptism. We thank you, Father, for the clarity within the New Testament talking about how everyone needs to go through this act. Thank you for the blessings that it brings into our lives. We pray through Jesus. Amen.